Last week was recorded. I just didn't post it. Yeah, so apologies, podcast world. All right. So, um, so Andy's getting your guys' study sheets. So while we're, while we're doing that, we'll just do a little bit of review. So we've been talking about one thing is needful. And really, for me, uh, the verse that, that, that really encapsulates this entire series is Luke chapter 10, verses 41 to 42. And it says this, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Somebody give me the context of those verses. What's going on with Mary and Martha? We've talked about it several times. That some of you might know it. Come on. Sing it. Mary is washing Jesus' feet while Martha's like preparing this the whole house for all the people that are over, and she's getting all stressed out. And like, well, why isn't Mary helping? Yeah. Jesus? Yeah. Well, she's not washing his feet, but she's seated at the feet of Jesus because she's hearing him teach, and then Martha's serving. So there's a good chance that there's a whole bunch of people that are over at her house. And Martha, as a good hostess, was making sure that everything was in his proper place and his proper order because Jesus is in her house. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus is over. So you make sure that everything is in order. And she's ticked because Mary's sitting on her duff at the feet of Jesus, not helping. And so she goes to Jesus and says, hey, make Mary serve me. I have so much work to do, and she's just sitting at your feet. And Jesus makes that statement. Martha, you are troubled and worrisome over many things. You are just stressed out and anxious over so many different things, but Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There are days where we feel like we need to have things in order in our own personal lives, but instead we actually need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of days where you might feel like, man, I got to tackle this, I got to tackle that. I relate to this a lot because even over the past couple weeks, past couple months, <laughs> you know, good half of a year anyway. Um, good job. All right. Um, I have really felt super stressed out with a lot of the things that are going on, a lot of decisions that need to be made, um, you know, stuff with the church, stuff with camp. I have never done this much camp work in such a short time frame, and I'm also speaking and doing the music. So I'm like, it's one of those things where it's just, it's absolutely insane. But I need to remember to stop myself. I need to remember to spend time with the Lord, because if I don't, then stuff that I do isn't going to mean anything. And so I have to be very, very careful. So that's really where a lot of this stuff comes from. There's one thing that's needful. And when it comes to mastering the essentials of the Christian walk, you've got to make sure to nail that down. And then, of course, our picture that we show you guys every single week is this one. And that is uh, your communication with God is critical. The God, giving God your heart is absolutely key. If you struggle with reading, you struggle with your prayer life, it's because you're not giving God your heart. And that communication with God is absolutely critical. Christians that fail in their walk with God... And they fail in personal faithfulness, personal stewardship in their life. It's because they're not giving God their heart. They're not communicating with God. If you would just learn how to communicate with God on a daily basis throughout the day, it would take care of most of your issues that you struggle with in your life. Most of them. But we just forget. Whether we willfully forget, we ignorantly forget, we forget, and then we end up falling short every time. And so then once you really increase your communication with God, that naturally flows into the work of the Lord. If you're spending time with God, God has a heart for people. And he wants to see the lost reconciled unto himself. And he wants to see the saved grow in their relationship with God. And so if you are close to God, then you will find yourself doing evangelism and discipleship without anyone asking you to do it. And so take a look at your own life, your personal inventory, if you haven't been naturally sharing the gospel when you have an open door, 
or you've not been interested in someone else's spiritual well-being, then there's a good chance that you may not be walking with God like you think you are. Because God is interested in those things. He's interested in people. And if we're not interested with people, we're so self-absorbed with our own life, our own issues, then how in the world can we say we're even walking with God? When your eyes are on him, it, it immediately starts to go to other people. And it's amazing. I've noticed in my life that when I'm struggling with things uh, and I begin to focus on the things of God, that God will help me take care of those other issues that I'm worried about on the inside. Because that's just what he does. And so I love that about God. And so once you start doing the work of the, of the Lord, then comes growing and strengthening so that way you can be a better uh, evangelist, someone that can share the word of God and can answer questions um, and working with God when it comes to discipleship. And so this is where studying the Bible comes into play. Um, if people start asking you questions about what you believe, then you better know what you're talking about. So it forces you to study. And so we started talking about different study methods and the rules of Bible study that we teach at our church here and how to use a concordance, how to use Blue Letter Bible on your phone, how to do a word study, how to use treasury of scripture knowledge. You can dive in deeper into cross-references and comparing scripture with scripture to know what God has to say. And that's very important. Memorizing the Bible so that way it's not just in your head, but you're hiding it in your heart because you believe it. So that way when situations come up, scripture comes to your mind because you're giving the spirit of God a database to actually use and to pull from because you're memorizing the Bible and discipleship, having that one-on-one -on -one accountability. And so I want to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit more about discipleship. So now we're talking about working with God. We spent last week talking about evangelism. Now we want to talk about discipleship. We've already talked about discipleship in the realm of it strengthening you. And so this is the first page of your guys' document that you got in front of you, your handout. Um, we covered this already in one of the Zoom meetings that we had during quarantine, and I just want to go over it. We're not going to get into the details of it, but I wanted to give it to you again so that way we can go through it in this setting. And if you need something to study, then this has plenty of stuff for you to study this week. So what is discipleship? What is discipleship? It is the manner through which a believer is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by learning to willfully submit their will to the Lord in all things. It is you becoming like Jesus. That's what it is. And there's a lot of people that think they understand discipleship, but they really don't. And there are even a lot of people in our church, because we are a disciple-making church. We are big in discipleship. One-on-one -on -one discipleship. It is the backbone of everything that we do at our church. Many of you guys were raised up in this environment. And you've heard discipleship early on in kids' Sunday school classes, we have discipleship in the junior high. We have discipleship in the senior high where you meet one-on-one -on -one with somebody. We have discipleship for adults. You have the opportunity to be, be a discipler and to disciple somebody else. We talk about it all the time. But when you break it all down, discipleship, if you are actually being discipled, you should be able to look back and you should be able to see yourself becoming more like Christ. So the old you is going away and you start to take on the character and the characteristics of Jesus. So whenever you read in the Gospels, there's a living example of Jesus Christ and the things that he said and the things that he did and how he cared for people, both by rebuking them and loving them and caring for his flock and taking care of them in every, in every way you can possibly think of. Evangelizing, discipling, all those things. That's what Jesus did. So effective discipleship changes you and it gets rid of the old you and you begin to take on Jesus as part of who you are. So when people look at you, they should be able to hear and see Jesus Christ because we are called to be his ambassadors. 
And so it's when you lay down your will, when you are willingly able and willing to lay down your will at the feet of God and say, God, whatever you want for me, that is what I'm going to do. And those verses talk all about that. And so the discipleship process is that chart that you have in front of you right there. It begins off with evangelism, and Jesus wrote about this, and uh, he prayed about it, and it's written in, in the Bible in John 17, 6 through 23, where he manifested God's name unto the people, and then there were those that heard it, and they received it, and then they became disciples. So it begins with, with evangelism, and then it moves into edification or discipleship, and edification simply just means to build up, to build up. So you have the foundation of Jesus Christ with your salvation, and then you begin to build upon that foundation things that start to make you look like Jesus. And then it moves into the equipping or the commission. So you having the ability to go out there and to evangelize. When you have an opportunity that you can talk to somebody about it, you can talk about your faith. And yeah, you might be scared, but you're willing to do it. And you have the ability to disciple a believer to take someone under your wing and to teach them on how to be like Jesus Christ. That's really what it is. So God is clearly manifested to the lost. The lost are redeemed. The redeemed are discipled. And the disciples are commissioned to go and multiply disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why is discipleship, why must it be a priority for your personal growth? Well, here's just four simple reasons why. God appointed all born-again believers as stewards of the gospel and commissioned them to do the work of Jesus Christ in this world as his ambassadors. Every believer, every Christian, if you name the name of Christ and call yourself a Christian, if you are born again, you are a disciple. It's just a matter of what kind of disciple are you? Because that's how the Bible looks at it. It's not just this disciple is a more intense Christian that they actually take their faith seriously. No, every Christian is called a disciple. If you were to study the book of Acts, you'll find a verse in there where it says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians. That means every born again believer is a disciple. And as you walk and talk like Jesus Christ, they then called them Christians, little Christs. And so that's how it's supposed to go. Training and discipline is required for personal growth to do this job. You need to be trained. We all have weak spots and we need to be trained on how to handle certain things in certain situations. And we have to have discipline in our life. If you don't have discipline in your life, you're never going to grow. And that's true in anything. I mean, just think about academics. Think about sports. Think about your job. I mean, how many of you have a job right now? Okay, for those of you that have a job, when you got onto the job, were you trained on how to do your job? Yes. If you were not trained on how to do your job, it's probably a horrible job and you're a horrible worker. <laughs> you were trained on how to do your job every single time. Why? So you could do it right. So you don't mess things up. So you don't hurt people, even in some circumstances, right? I mean, that's true for you, Bobby, right? In your line of work. I mean, some people could get killed if they don't handle things the right way. So it's the same thing when it comes to being a Christian. So once you take the name of Christ, you now need to be trained. You need to be trained on how to handle yourself, how to make decisions, how to read your Bible, how to communicate with God. Why, why should you be a disciple and, and how the end result of discipleship is you now discipling another person and being responsible for their growth and having accountability in your life. If you have no accountability in your life, you're going to go off the rails. You've got to have someone in your life that can be an, uh, a thumb in your back. You've got to have someone that irritates you like Andy yes. does. 
my eyes are lighting up. They're looking at me. I'm like, you're me. Yeah, yeah. I think they're. I think they're hearing you. Um, you gotta have that in your life. You have to. All right. Third point under this one: personal growth cannot be done properly in isolation. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that think that you can be a good Christian and not go to church. It's not possible. You can't do that. You can't. You need to be involved in church. You need to be rubbing shoulders with like-minded believers because they bring a level of accountability to your life. They do. I know in my life, it doesn't happen that often because it's part of my job now, but there are days like, even when we go on vacation, like we go on vacation and we miss a couple Sundays, it's weird. It's weird to me and I can start to feel it. And it's just, it's just odd. It's odd to me. I need to be around God's people. It brings a level of accountability in my life that I need. Otherwise, I'm going to be lazy. And then this leads us into our next point. That's, that's pretty much the same thing. You must be deeply connected with the Spirit in the Bible and in the local church. And discipleship and learning how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ helps you do that. So that is discipleship. Now, here's what I want to talk about. And I want to spend more time talking about it. So I want to talk about the four goals of discipleship. Because these are the reasons why discipleship is God's plan for everyone and what it does in your life. And if you have not seen these things in your life and you have been discipled or you're currently in discipleship, then there's something wrong. There's either something wrong on your end or there's something wrong on your disciplers end. But these things are absolutely critical. I always forget that I have this back here. All right. There we go. Four goals. All right. Because it's a beautiful picture and I want you guys to see it because I stole it off the internet. Okay. So the four goals of discipleship, these are the end result or the goals of discipleship. And if these four things do not happen, discipleship has not happened in your life. All right. So first of all, it is to be established in the word of God, to be established in the word of God. Such your first blank established in the word of God. This is an absolute must. Let's go to John 8.31. John 8.31. And then uh, I'll have someone go to 1 Timothy 4.13. Who wants that one? All right, Reese, you can take that one. And someone do James 1.22. All right, Jack. So everybody else go to John chapter 8. All right, so established in the word of God. By the time you have been discipled, you should be able to, to be, have your handle on the Bible. You should be able to navigate the Bible. Uh, the Bible should be a regular um, source of, of, a, of a diet for you every single day. It's something that you consume every single day, something that you find yourself in. If there's a day that goes by where you're not in the Bible, you feel like something is missing. And this is why. John eight thirty one. Someone read that for me. John eight thirty one. Go ahead, Sam. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Okay, very simple. Someone explain that. What did Jesus say? And who did he say it to? Jews. Jews which? Believe. Believed. Okay, so believers. Okay? So he says this, first of all, to believers. Jewish believers, but they're believers. And then what did he say? If ye continue. What does that mean? You go on and you, okay, and you don't, you don't stop, okay? So you go on, you continue, and you don't stop. And then he says, then are ye my disciples indeed. Disciples, one of the key things about a disciple is that they continue in God's word. They continue. They don't stop. They feel that the word of God is such an important part of their life that they consume it. 
and they feel like they are dying on the inside if they don't have it. That is a disciple. And let me tell you, when you start to get the word of God inside of you and you start to see it change you, then, and you just, I mean, it's like, how many of you have gone any, any, like a day without drinking water? <laughs> how terrible is that? It's like the worst. It's wor- and there's a reason why the word of God is equated to water in the scriptures. It is. And so this is something very important. If you continue, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. The disciples of Jesus Christ, born again believers, every Christian, by the way, they get into God's word. They need it. They continue and they don't stop. It is essential for their well-being and for their survival. All right. First Timothy 413. Okay, so he tells Timothy to that church, until, until I come, give attendance to you, so focus on this, to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. So reading, reading the Bible, exhortation, encouragement from the scriptures, and doctrine, God's teachings from the Bible. And you can make an argument, well, he only did two out of three. Hey, I know that the Bible exhorts me, it encourages me, and it helps me to want to walk with God and do things that God wants me to do. And then listen to James one twenty two. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So don't just be a hearer, but a doer. doer. So God did not give you his word just for you to hear it and think, oh, that's neat. That's new. I can answer the trivia games online now about the Bible. That's not the purpose of it, right? That's not the purpose of it. And it's one of those things that you read it, and the intent of reading it is for you to do it, to be obedient to it. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly all the time, but that's what it means to walk with God. That's what it means to be a disciple. So discipleship, one of the main goals, first of all, is to establish you in the Word of God, that you're in the Bible, that it's part of your regular routine, that it's something that if it's missing, you feel like you're dying on the inside. When you read something that you're not being obedient to, God convicts you, and then you repent, and you do it. And that becomes a regular pattern in your life. If that does not exist in your life, you have not been effectively discipled. Or you have been and you just left. Because John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. There's a lot of people that look like a disciple. They're interested in, in discipleship. But when things get tough, they abandon the Bible and say, forget it, I'm done. They are not true disciples. And that, frankly, is a shame because every Christian is called to be a disciple first. Disciples were called Christians first. Remember that. Always remember that. It's very important. Okay, number two, second goal, to be established in fellowship with other believers. To be established in fellowship with other believers. So established in the word of God, first of all. Secondly, to be established in fellowship with other believers. Fellowship with other believers, that your closest friends Those that you would, I mean, this sounds stupid, ride and die with, (laughs) would be other born-again believers, not the lost world. Not the lost world. Not people that are lost. Not people that are Christians that don't walk with God. Not those people, but born-again believers that are disciples. That you have deep, meaningful fellowship with those people. And here's the reason why. Because, think about it. Those that are your closest friends are those that you what? What makes someone your closest friend? Yes, you have things in common with them. People that you're closest to, it's like 
you know, you've met some people where there's like barriers and walls between you and them, right? That you can only go so far and just be either they don't let you come close or you don't come close to them or they have different values. You're just like, Meh, I don't want that in my life. And you just kind of, mm, okay. I mean, that started to happen to me. I remember in middle school, I had some friends. Um, there's this one kid, his name was Brandon, and he was a close friend of mine in middle school. Um, not, not you. You were, you were my friend. I mean, you are now, I think. Are we friends? Okay, we're friends. All right. So, but there's this kid, his name was Brandon, and I remember going over to his house, and, and I mean, he had like the coolest house because he had a pond in his backyard, and there was this creek, and we used to like go into the creek and find frogs and tadpoles and all this stuff, and he had a, uh, his dad was a carpenter, and so his dad built him this tree house out back that we stayed the night in. It was like the coolest, and we would burn daddy long legs on, on light bulbs and stuff. It was just so much fun. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, anyway, so, but there came a day where my mom, and I didn't see this, but my mom said, mm, I think you need to start limiting the time that you spend with your friend Brandon. And I was like, okay. Because I love my mom, and my mom loved me, and she always was looking out for me, and I was very trusting of my parents. And so when my mom said that, I said, okay. I was bummed because I liked hanging out with him, but I was like, all right. But there are things that I just didn't see. So a few years go by, we kind of grow apart, and now we're in high school, and he ends up being a major druggie. Major. I mean, the crowd that he runs with, they're doing the drugs, they're doing the partying, they're, they're doing stuff that's illegal, stuff that I found out later through stories of Aaron Stanley when he was lost. I mean, I'm like, whoa. Now I know what it is. Okay, I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andy does, because we went to high school together. For those who okay. Anyway, but it was just one of those things where I'm just like, man. And it actually really broke my heart because I really, I mean, I liked this kid a lot. He was a friend of mine, but through our val our values changed. And so he started heading down this direction over here while I was over here because our life was just completely different. See, that's normal because if you are a born again believer, there are certain things you have in common with other born again believers and they naturally just, it's like water. When you take two water molecules and you get them close together, what happens? It's awesome because you see these two things and it's almost like a magnet because of the neutrons, electrons, protons, everything's and they just attract to one another. It's like that. And so as born again believers, if, if saved people that walk with God are not your closest friends, then I would say, and I would take a, a, a pretty confident guess that you're not really walking with God the way that you should be because you can't have things in common with lost people and stay close to them because here's what happens. If you are saved and you love God, and you are his disciple, and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, when that happens, they're not going to compromise what they do. In order to be friends with them, you have to let go of Jesus and join them. You have to leave him behind and compromise your beliefs in order to be friends with these people every time. And they may fake it for a little while just to get you to join them, and then it makes it easier to leave those things behind in order to be their friend. Every single time it happens that way. So you've got to be careful. And see, this is why Jesus said in John 13, go to John 13, already in John 8, go over to John 13, verse 35. All right, I love verse 34, so let's read that one. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So we're supposed to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. It's pretty huge. Each. 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We are the evidence of Jesus Christ as we love each other. 
So as you love, because you are a disciple, you will love other brothers and sisters in Christ and they will become your best friends. So that's very important. So that's another goal of discipleship. Goal number three, to be established in the local church. To be established in the local church. And we'll go to Hebrews chapter 10 for this one. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about gifts and how God gives gifts to every member of the local church and how the the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, that we all need each other. And that is absolutely true. I wanted to bring in Hebrews 10 just because I feel it's appropriate during this day and age that we're in. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day, the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face. The day when our time is ended and the church age is over and the tribulation occurs. We should never be forsaking our, the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. There's a lot of people that are very flippant about church attendance. They're very flippant about church involvement. And I'm telling you, those people, they're not gonna accomplish much for God at all. They're just not. Because we need to be together to be reminded about what is our mission and who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act. So it's very important that we keep those things in mind. To be established in the local church. Discipleship should cause you to love your local church more. It should cause you to want to serve your local church more. It should cause you to see your need to be a part of this body, not just for your own good, but also for the good of the whole group. Because it is true. I mean, I wish that everybody that was on our roster were here tonight. I, I, I really do, because we are missing pieces. We're missing parts of our body. We just are. And it's just not the same without everybody here. And I hate it. And I hope at camp we all can get together. And I hope that we all can assemble together and that we can be encouraged and that when we come out of camp that we'll have some great momentum that can last into the summer and into the fall. Whatever's going to happen in the fall. Who knows what's going to happen? But we need to make sure that we are together. And then number four, to be established in the work of the Lord. To be established in the work of the Lord. And um, let's do 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 for this one. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. So to be established in the Word of God, to have your handle on the Bible that it becomes part of your daily life. Fellowship with other believers is critical. Your best friends become those that are born again believers because you need each other. To be established in the local church, that you see your purpose in this local church and how you bring value to it and how it brings value to you. And then lastly, to be established in the work of the Lord, which is evangelism and discipleship. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Someone read that one. Go ahead. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right, so I love this verse because he says, therefore. So the reason why, what's the therefore, therefore? It's a great question to ask. It's because of what happened before. So that therefore means... Okay, if you go back through this chapter, you find out one day when you die, you're going to be given a celestial body and you're going to inherit what's called the kingdom of God. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. And it's going to come uh, to such a, a great amazement to us that we're going to be able to shout in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of all those things, which is amazing that we're going to be able to have one day. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Steadfast. Give me, give me a synonym for that. Steadfast. Fast dead. Fast dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're steaded fast. Okay, grounded. All right? Rooted, grounded. Unmovable. What's the synonym for that one? Brick. Brick. <laughs> What's yours? Firm. Firm. Not able to be moved by things. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What does always mean? Constant. Every time. All the time. Always abounding. What does abounding mean? Flourishing, growing, increasing in the work of the Lord. Okay, I love this one. So abounding, if you were to study this word out, there's a word right in the middle there. You have a, bound, and then ing, all right? So what does it mean to bind something? Something is bound. What does that mean? It's tied down, all right? It's tied down. It can't flourish. It can't grow because it's tied down. So the A is put on the front because it's the opposite. So whereas you have something that's tied down and it can't grow and it can't flourish and prosper, abounding means it's the exact opposite, that you don't hold back in your Christian walk, that you keep serving, you keep ministering, and you don't stop, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Even with those friends that end up making fun of you because you take a stand or that you say something, or those people that you witness to and they ridicule you or they're not interested in what you have to say, even those people, yes, it is never in vain. Never, ever in vain. Never, ever is it in vain. Because you never know what God is going to do in the hearts of people. You just don't. All right, and then let's go to John 15 because I want to hit this one before we hit our next part. John chapter 15. When it talks about the work of the Lord. John chapter 15. Okay, so John 15, we talked about this a little bit. Um, I think it was on the Zoom call and we talked about it. But Jesus is walking with his disciples. This is before he's crucified. And he's going through a garden. And he sees a vine. He sees a grapevine. And he begins to share with them something and teach them something. And he says in verse 1... John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. And he begins to show you this picture. And I love how he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. So, you got your vine. Jesus, right? You got your vine, and then you are the branch. And this branch by itself can't do anything. If you were to go out and pull a branch from a tree, what's going to happen? It's going to die. The leaves are going to wither, and it is going to die. Why? Yeah, it's not getting food. It's not getting sustenance. not getting water, not getting sap, none of it. And so when you remove that, it can't be like, oh, it's just going to flourish on its own. It needs to abide in the tree. The branch has to abide in the vine. So when we get disconnected from the Bible, which is the mind of Christ, and we are disobedient to the spirit of God inside of us, we are removing ourselves from any sustenance that we can have to bear fruit for the Lord. There's just no way, absolutely no way for that to happen. Take a look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear, what is the word there? Much 
fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Not just fruit. If God is going to be glorified, it's that we are to bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Your much fruit is the proof that you are a true disciple. And so that's critical. And then take a look at verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Okay, very simple. Go and bear fruit. It's evangelism. You go out and you share the truth of God's word with people. When they accept it and they believe it and they trust Christ as their savior, that's fruit. But then verse 16 says that your fruit should, what does it say? Look at it again. Remain. How do you get fruit to remain? It's discipleship. It's discipleship. It's one of the beauties of refrigerators. Right? Refrigerators make food last longer. Sometimes we forget about that food and then it grows some nasty stuff on top of it. (laughs) But that's the beauty of things like that because it preserves it and it keeps it. It keeps it intact That's what discipleship does. You bear the fruit, evangelism, and then your fruit should remain. You take care of it and you preserve it by discipling it so that it can go forth and bear more fruit so there's much fruit and then God is glorified. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. So those are the four goals of discipleship. To be established in the word of God, that it becomes a part of your very being. You feel like you're missing if it's missing. To be established in the fellowship of other believers that born-again believers are your best friends. To be established in the local church, you actually see that you add value to the body because you are needed and that you need the body or else you're not going to survive. And to be established in the work of the Lord. Established is the key word there. Established. That you can handle yourself when it comes to evangelism, opportunities to witness to somebody, people ask you questions, and then even to disciple somebody and to try to bring them along. That's what discipleship is supposed to be. And so here's the reality behind it. And I thought this was really cool. So I'm going to read this here in a second. So the reality of discipleship. Um, all right. So, so read along with me on this one. All right. So this is kind of cool. So suppose a soul winner, so someone who goes out and evangelizes, they won a thousand people to Christ every day. That would be flippin' amazing. Would it not? That would be amazing. I mean, a thousand people a day. Does that sound ridiculous? Yes, because it is ridiculous. That is a ridiculous number. All right. So, suppose a soul winner won 1,000 people to Christ every single day. At the end of the first year, there would be 365,000 new believers. That would be unbelievable. Suppose another person led one person to Christ and spent that year building, teaching, and training that individual to grow to maturity, edification, or discipleship, and to give witness of his or her faith and build up others. At the end of that first year, those engaged in a discipling ministry would number two. If this process were continued to continue indefinitely with the soul winner adding and the disciple are multiplying each year, the total number of converts when compared at later dates would reveal the following. So this is kind of cool, right? So a little bit of math. All right, so year one. I know we're out of school, but just suck it up. Deal with it, all right? Okay, all right, so year one, 365, that would be absolutely amazing. And then you have your disciple or they only have two, okay? So that means in year two, They'd add another 365,000, so they'd be at 730,000 people, one to the Lord, and the disciples at four. Now, at this stage of the game, you know what a lot of people would do? Which side would they choose? The soul winner. 
They would every single time. Because they're like, well, that's obviously not working. I mean, am I right? This is what happens in a lot of our churches today that are out there. They go to tactics that add more people to their congregations rather than investing in the people that they have. And watch what happens over time. So let's say you hit year 10. Okay, so you got 3,650,000. That's, that's a lot of people. And that's also assuming that no one leaves the church and there were no false converts and any of that stuff. And with the discipling church, they're at 1,024 after 10 years. 10, we've been doing this for 10 years. And look at the church across the street. They've got 3 million people. <laughs> well, we're sitting here with only 1,000. This, this is not working. I mean, you can probably hear a lot of people start to engage in that kind of discussion. All right, so let's keep going. Year 19. So you've got 6 million, almost 7 million people on the soul winner side. And then you have 524,288 on the discipleship side. Okay, well, they're starting to show some traction there, but they're still, you got almost 7 million people, right? That's ridiculous. Okay, 20 years. At 20 years, okay, now you've got 7,300,000 people. And then on the discipler side, you've only got 1 million. All right, so they're starting to pick up speed a little bit here. Now, here's what's interesting. You start to get to this one. You got 9 million. So 25. Just five years later, you have 9,125,000, while on the discipler side, you're at 33 million. So it took 25 years to get to this point, but the investment eventually paid off. And now you're at a spot where they finally overtook the people that are winning 1,000 people to the Lord every single day. That's huge. That's huge. Okay? Now, let's keep going without kicking my guitar over. 26 years, you're at 9,490,000, while you're at 67 million over here on the discipler side. 27 years, now you're at 134 million. You're starting to see the exponential growth here. This is unreal. And then 33 years, 33 years, 33 years. By the way, who died when they were 33? Jesus. Oh, interesting, Jesus. just interesting, quinky ink, I'm sure. All right, 33 years. The soul winner that was winning 1,000 people to the Lord every day, now their totals are 10,220,000, while the discipler is at 8,589,934,592. So, how many people are on planet Earth today? 7.7 billion. So... This is amazing to me. This is amazing to me because if you just look at that for a second. Jesus laid out a plan out of John 17. Evangelize to make disciples. Train them to go out and do the exact same thing so they can evangelize, make disciples. And then train them so they can go out and do the exact same thing so they can evangelize, disciple. This was Jesus' pattern. 33 years, the year that Jesus died... If people were to do this perfectly, they would reach the entire known world in 31 generation. In one generation, we could actually reach the entire planet. Does that not like freak you out? It should. It gives me goosebumps when I think about it. This is insane. This is why discipleship, biblically, is God's plan to reach the world. This is God's plan to reach the entire world. And we can actually reach the entire world. As crazy as this world is and how psychotic things are right now, this is God's plan to reach the whole world. And if that doesn't blow your mind, you're dead inside. I mean, I'm just shooting straight. That is amazing. This should, this should make you want to be the best discipler. 
The best person, because God has commissioned you that even only if you disciple like one or two people within like 10 years, you're part of this plan where you could reach the entire planet. You absolutely can. This is God's foolproof plan. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So this is Jesus' plan to reach the world, making disciples that will go make disciples, reproducing reproducers. And I wanted you to see this from God's perspective because this is God's plan. Working with God, as you walk with God, you spend time with God and you have a heart for people, then you start doing this kind of stuff and you actually can make a significant impact. Whether you believe it or not, that's between you and God, but you actually can make a huge impact. And the statistics prove it. Now I get the fact this doesn't work perfectly. Totally get it. Because think about in Jesus's lifetime, how many believers did he have at the end of his ministry? Anybody know? Yeah, there were 500. There were 500 by the time he hit the book of Acts that were uh, seen of Jesus. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15 that he revealed himself to 500 people. But when you think about it, out of those 500, there was only 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And out of those 120, there were 70 that he sent out to do the ministry two by two. And out of those 70, there were 12. They were actually close to him. And out of those 12, there was only one one that leaned on his chest that knew he never betrayed him, and that was John. And he had three and a half years, three and a half years for Jesus' ministry, and he had 500 people. That's pretty drastic. That's pretty successful when you think about it. In just three and a half years to have 500 people, disciple, and he's the son of God. And you know what Jesus said? He said, greater works are you going to do. He said, after I go and I send you the spirit of God, you're going to do even greater works than what I've done. That's what Jesus said. Now, do we believe him or not? Because we can. And it's not because we're better than Jesus. No, it's because of what he did on the cross, equipping us with the spirit of God, God living inside of you to be like Jesus everywhere. He multiplied himself in us. That's what he did at salvation. So now Jesus was just one person walking the planet. And now it's much more than that because the spirit of Jesus is now living inside of every born again believer. And so if one person in three and a half years can have 500, how many can 500 believers have in three and a half years? You know what I'm saying? So these are the things that, man, we get so focused on our life, our circumstances, our situations, and we don't see the broader picture of what God's plan is and your part in it. It's critical. It's really critical. So I really hope you guys chew on this stuff because this is stuff that, I mean, this will transform your life. I mean, this is why we want people to go to camp. I mean, we'll have a fun time going to camp, but we want people to get saved. And we want the saved to get discipled. And we want born-again believers to get discipled. And we want disciples to be re-discipled if they have to be in order to get in on this thing. And for those of you that are graduating, this is the one thing that's going to keep you steady more than anything else, is being a disciple and a discipler for the rest of your life until the day you die. It's the one thing that's going to keep you stable when this whole world is just going to hell. It's the one thing that's going to keep you intact. So it's God's plan. It's amazing. I would tend to go more towards the soul winner side just because I'm attracted by the results on the onset. But when you start to see what God has in store, man, you know what? That's true. It's absolutely true. So that's where I want to cast my lot. And it breaks my heart when the people that I disciple um, really don't want to be a disciple anymore. 
Because I'm like... <sighs> you have no idea what you're choosing. It kills me. It kills me. So, anyway. All right. So that's it. Any questions on discipleship or any of that stuff at all? Any thoughts? Any comments you guys want to make? Yeah, Jack. Uh, number 10 is actually the entire church. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. It's like, I don't see those signs. But I see what you mean there. Okay. All right. And they probably did that in about 10 years. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. <laughs> any, wow. any other comments? All right. Any even personal testimonies from you guys when it comes to discipleship? Does anybody have anything? Jake does. about tooting your own horn. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I have an adult testimony. Is that good? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got newly saved and then came here not that long after and got immediately plugged into discipleship. And as a new believer, yeah, I was hungry and wanted information, but it wasn't, I didn't connect with it very well. So I moved on to somebody else, and it was beaten to me <laughs> by that person. So I had a bad taste in my mouth about discipleship, which made it hard for me to disciple. Um, and then I took a good break from it because of having kids. I used it as an excuse. And then um, just getting plugged back into it, now I like I don't I cannot see my life without it. I cannot see my everyday every year not having a disciple because it 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 helps you grow and yeah you're a part of what all of this but um your relationship with the lord is amazing through it um and you build great relationships and friendships and you just get to see them then disciple people but just anybody that's kind of discouraged with discipleship and stuff um go look into it from a different perspective because I've had some conversations recently with some that are like not that gung-ho about it and it's just made me think I used to be like that yeah and now I can't imagine my life without it yeah that's good anybody else want to share anything the awkward moments. No, it's you, Jack. You make it awkward. Okay, Nana? Oh my gosh. What, what's the, uh, the deal of having to re-disciple somebody who's already completed their faith? Obviously, they get it. So in that, in that circumstance, it's only happened a handful of times. Um, it's because I, I've seen it happen a couple different ways. One is that a person just kind of went through it for the material sake and they just received it as information and it didn't actually change their life. And so sometimes when we reevaluate that circumstance, it's good for that person to go through the material again with somebody. But there are other times where I've chosen, no, you know this material you actually just need to spend some good quality time with another person to have accountability, to go through some different things together, like either reading a book together or studying a book of the Bible together and doing some things like that where you're investing your life into that person. 
Um, but because we do have people that go to our church, we've had people that go through the youth ministry where they've just gone through it as information and it doesn't change their life at all, at all. Um, in fact, in a lot of cases, it actually makes them worse. They make worse decisions after it's over. Um, but yeah, I've seen that a few times. That's good. All right. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Okay. I hope this was helpful to you guys. I hope this was something that maybe you haven't seen from this perspective before. Um, because this is a game changer. This is a game changer. It really is. And it's one of those things that should light a fire inside of you to be more faithful yourself uh, and to really get on board with someone if you're not being discipled um, or maybe you're with someone now and you're just not taking it seriously enough. Um, but this is what we're talking about. This isn't just some program that we do as a church. This is everything that we do. I mean, this is everything that we do. Every aspect of our ministry is this. Everything. And that's why our church is different than uh, most other churches. Uh, because we want to do what Jesus told us to do out of John 17. That's what he commissioned us to do. So, okay. Can you imagine the crowns to give back? It'd be crazy. It'd be crazy awesome. They're all day. Yeah. But there's no time, so it really wouldn't matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True story. <laughs> all right. Let's get someone to close us in prayer. <laughs> I just wanted another awkward moment before we left. <laughs> How about Billy? We haven't heard Billy in a while. Billy? You don't have to give in to Andy's peer pressure if you don't want to. Billy, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this uh, wonderful, nice day we had outside today. And uh, I just want to thank you for uh, us being able to still go to church camp and fellowship tonight. And we just thank Amen. 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 Amen.